the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Online at Lone. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me. So loved the world that he gave the only one of his kind son, that everyone continuing to believe in him may not perish but may have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world that he may judge the world, but that the world may be saved through him. The one continually believing in him is not judged. 
but the one not continually believing has been judged already because he has not believed with abiding results in the name of the one and only of his kind Son of God. Now, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and that men love the darkness rather than the light for their works were evil For everyone practicing evil things hates the light and does not come into the light that his works may be exposed. But the one doing the truth comes to the light that his works may be made known, that they have been motivated by God. John, the third chapter, verses 16 through 21. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, and with me today is my beautiful new wife, Alexandra. Welcome, Alexandra. Welcome. We're happy to be with you today, and we want to talk about something that is so difficult to talk about that, frankly, we're not quite sure how to even begin going about this topic. Let me begin by saying the most painful part of my work as a pastor has been new people coming to Jesus, learning about the basic doctrines of the church, but slowly, slowly walking away. Or they stay in the church They love the social life of the church. They love the entertainment. They love the programs. But they don't love Jesus. They go back to their fornicating. They go back to their gambling. Oh, not maybe as much as before. But basically, I have seen over and over men and women, come to Jesus, and there is no radical change in many of their lives. It's said that those who came to the Billy Graham meetings and revivals, that as much as 85 or 90 percent of them a year later were not plugged into a church and were not following Jesus. How is that possible? I think to understand that, we've got to begin talking honestly with each other about what are the requirements of God. Now, please, may I just say right up front, nowhere in Scripture do I find that religion is one of the requirements of God. That's just not found in the Scripture. So what are the requirements of God? Alexandra, from your understanding, as you read the scriptures, what are the requirements of God? Well, just as you were speaking, a scripture came to mind from James where he talks about what is true religion. And he says that pure religion is to care 
for the orphans and widows and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And That's a strange kind of religion in our day. It is. It's very practical. And it, it echoes what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that all, he said, all of the law and the prophets hung on those commandments. So how do you see the requirements of God being played out? In a very practical way, what does he require? What is sin? What is sin? Mm-hmm. Well, we know that sin is to transgress the law, but fundamentally sin is rebellion. So all sin originates in neglecting that first commandment because God created us. And so he has a claim on each of our lives and even created us with a specific purpose and intention. So if we're not totally submitted to God, we're defying the purpose for which he created us in the first place. You know, one of the ways I look at this is we have the sphere of this earth and all of the culture of this earth. But when we come to Jesus, we die to the sphere of this earth and we become heavenly men and women. We literally die to the lust of our heart in this world and to the culture of this world. There is no in-between place. There is this earth which is under a condemnation. It's under a sentence of death. Every man, every woman, every boy and girl is under a just and fair judgment from God that we deserve to die, that we deserve to be destroyed. And it's only God's grace that we have not been destroyed. When we come to Jesus, there is that narrow bridge we cross called the cross, the cross of Jesus. And we enter into a new world. But many that I see try to stay in this world and get some kind of religion. And so they add the church to an already full worldly life. And so, frankly, they don't have time to attend to scripture or to prayer or to the meetings of the church. If you're asked to spend more than 15 minutes listening to a sermon, I've heard Mature men say, I would not go to a church where the preacher didn't preach less than 20 minutes. Well, that's insanity. That's moral insanity. Because they can certainly sit and watch the Steelers for longer than 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, I know, they can get a beer while they're watching the Steelers. You see, it's just utterly corrupt. It's wickedness. So, What are the requirements of God? Well, I just wanted to, and the subject of this middle ground, it reminds me when I was in college, a family member took out a life insurance policy on me. And as part of that, I had to have 
all these drug and blood tests done. And, you know, then they asked me all sorts of questions about my habits. And one of the things they asked was if I smoked. And I said, I was probably, you know, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I, was, I probably shouldn't have answered this way. But I said, I don't smoke cigarettes, but, you know, sometimes I'll have a cigar maybe once a month. And so she put down that I smoked. There was no middle area. Either you smoke or you don't smoke. And I hear people talk about sin in this way, where they say, well, you know, maybe just once in a while I'll do something like that. But that's not keeping yourself unspotted. So if you, if you do it at all, if you sin at all, then by definition you are a sinner. You're someone who sins regardless of the frequency so I think that's important that we understand that we're supposed to totally abstain from all sin. So the Ten Commandments give us some idea of what God expects. Yeah, it's interesting as you read through Exodus because, and then into Leviticus, you know, we get the first commandment is, you know, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. And then the Ten Commandments kind of break this down, and then you get into Leviticus and they break it down even more. So it just gets like a finer and finer definition of those commandments. So we know in the first commandment that we're not to make or worship idols. And I like the definition that you see in some of the prophets. An idol is something that we've made with our own hands. And so we're worship if we're worshiping something we've made with our own hands or someone else has made with their hands, that would be an idol. So like an iPhone could be an idol. You know, when the new iPhone comes out and you see the line, you know, people will stand in line for two hours to get an iPhone. But I've never seen people stand in line for two hours to go to a church meeting. So it just shows where the heart is. Um Part of this is also to not take the Lord's name in vain. And so I remember first hearing this when I was in middle school. One of my classmates rebuked me because I used the Lord's name in vain. But it also can apply to saying that you're a Christian, but then living in sin. Because you're just destroying the testimony of God at that point. Jesus said to honor your father and your mother, which was the first commandment with promise. Because if we do that, we'll live long on the earth. Then we know the famous, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, not lying, coveting anything, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's dog, anything that somebody else has that you want. So those are the basics that we see in the Old Testament. And then Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, really kind of elevated the standard on a lot of these commandments. So here we see the requirement to forgive, which is interesting because we didn't see that in the old covenant. Otherwise, God won't forgive us. We know that Jesus said if we looked at someone with lust, we'd already committed adultery. If we hated someone in our heart without a cause, we'd already committed murder. And we're even supposed to love our enemies and do good to them, even feeding them, which we see really 
cool examples of this now going on in the Middle East where Christians will bring food and water and Bibles to Muslims in you know Iraq where there's been a lot of fighting from ISIS and just the kindness that these Christians are showing to them is resulting in a lot of these Muslims coming to Christ. Mm. Jesus said to give to the poor. He told us to pray, to fast, to make peace with our enemies. He said, don't swear at all. If someone steals from you, we're not supposed to go ask for it back or sue them for it. If someone asks us for money, we're not to refuse. And we see in the same way that the whole law was kind of summed up in that first commandment to love God first. I feel that the Sermon on the Mount is summed up in Matthew 6.33 when Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so we understand that in the new covenant, we're to devote absolutely everything we have and are, like our possessions, but also our time, our, our talents, our intelligence, whatever gifts God has given us is to be for the advancement of God's kingdom, which includes the proclamation of the gospel. It includes ministering to others. It includes encouraging your brothers and sisters caring for them and you know it's obvious mm -hmm. from this list that you've gone through of commandments mm -hmm. both old and new mm -hmm. that this is utterly impossible I've not been able to do these things as a worldly person there had to be a total change and in the new covenant these laws are written on our hearts. Yes. They become a part of us because we're new creatures. Yes. We're not the same old same old trying hard. So the the Christian walk is not one of white knuckling and struggling against sin. It is a a, a life of victory over every besetting sin. We're new creatures. Yes, the prophet Jeremiah said that in it says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will write my laws in their heart, and they will no longer teach everyone their brother or their neighbor, saying, love the, love the Lord, because everyone will know him. Mm -hmm. So it's that receiving of the Spirit of Christ and his living in us. So we don't conquer sin by focusing on the sin. We conquer sin by giving ourselves to Jesus. But we have to look at these lists, if you please, to say, does this describe your current behavior? Yes. If it doesn't, you're in trouble. Yes. And that's also because we're judged by what we do. This is very clear throughout Scripture. So we're not saved by what we say, but we're saved by what we do. Jesus said, The hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That's John five twenty and 29. So, this walk with Jesus is not remaining in the flesh that is the old man that is the sin nature it's not remaining in that and 
adding a little bit of religion. And I fear that that's what many of you listening have done, that you are not utterly sold out to Jesus. There's a cry in my heart when a temptation comes to me, and we're all tempted every day. When a temptation comes to me, I'm finding a cry coming up out of my heart that says, I would rather die than sin against my Lord. Can you say that's your current experience? Would you rather die than sin against Jesus? Would you rather die than explode in anger against someone? Would you rather die than fornicate with someone? Would you rather die than love anything in the world, the flesh, or the devil? You see, when we come to Christ, and and this is where, frankly, Alexandra and I and the National Prayer Chapel are struggling. We're struggling with this issue of people who say, I'm a Christian, and then walk like the devil. People who say, oh, I'm saved. And they walk in their wickedness. And that has become the norm of our culture. We think by saying, I'm saved, I'm saved. That's simply not true. Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge me based on what I do on my actions. Last night, we had a wonderful time of prayer and sharing together. And one of the brothers just began to wax eloquent on this issue, saying, it's a choice. It's a conscience choice. It's a choice day by day. How I use my time, what I look at on my cell phone, what I look at on the internet, what I do with my imagination, what I say to my workmates, my attitude toward the driver ahead of me who's cutting me off. Our life is made up of all of these little things that make a composite picture of a man or a woman on their way to heaven or a man or woman on their way to hell. And hell is going to be full of people, Alexandra, hell is going to be full of people who say, but wait a minute, I'm a Christian. Yes, it's so important to understand that there aren't two standards of judgment. It's not like God has one list of how he's going to judge Christians and then another set of rules for how he's going to judge non-Christians. We're all going to face the same requirements. And so it's key to understand this is what the book of James is about, is that our faith has to actually produce works because it's our works that we're judged by. So that... that victory comes completely by faith and it's not hard. It's not white knuckling it. It's not a burden, but it does produce real works that will stand at the judgment. And we are not saved because of what we do. 
We are saved because of who we know. And because we know Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us as Christians. And the Holy Spirit produces this good fruit in us. And we would rather die than grieve the Holy Spirit. Or we would rather die than grieve Jesus. Because he's everything to us. We are passionately in love with him. Now, because we just were married, fresh in our minds are the vows we spoke to one another. And Alexandra, you were sharing last night something that I thought was so absolutely right on. Talk to us about the marriage vows that you were writing and what some of your thoughts were about that. So I I definitely delayed a bit on writing the vows and only started about two days before the wedding. But I did some research and I found some general trends in the vows. So wedding vows basically consist, there's a commitment that you're going to forsake all other loves. So part of my vow was that I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm not going to even think about going after other men. Um, Another part of wedding vows is that we will love each other, whether we're sick or in health, whether we're poor or whether we're rich. And until, you know, for the rest of our lives, it says for as long as we both shall live. And, you know, when you, when you get married, there's a specific day where you go in front of the witnesses, you know, it might be a couple hundred of your friends and family members even, and you say these vows out loud. And so there's a verbal, specific moment in time when you're making this commitment and everyone sees it and it's then up to you know the newlyweds to actually walk out those vows and I realize that the vows that we make in marriage are very similar to a vow that we would make to Jesus when we're actually giving ourselves completely to him because we're saying Jesus I'm gonna forsake all other loves I'm not gonna have any other gods besides you. I'm not going to put anything else first. I'm going to put you first. But wait a minute. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to make Jesus first, does that mean I can have a second love? Like I can have the Redskins and I can have the parties and I can go to the altar and I can talk about them all the time. So now I have two loves. I have Jesus, and I have the Redskins, or I have Jesus, and I have my work, I have Jesus, and I have, what, the health club to go work out. How do we fit these things in? Well, there's two things. So first of all, if you really love someone, you're going to hate the things that you know hurt them or displease them. So that knocks sin right out of the water. If you really love Jesus... You're not going to engage in willful sin because you know God hates it. Um, In terms of other things like the health club, there is a place for that, but it has to be subordinate to the love for Jesus and where as as you're going to the health club, you know you're doing it because, say, for example, you know that the Spirit of God is living in your body 
and you want to be healthy so that you can do the service of God and you can live longer. One man, a dear brother, we love him so much. He said to us, I go to the health club and I walk every day because my body is not strong enough to bear the burden of intercessory prayer. And so I go to strengthen my body so that I can bear more the responsibility of intercession for God's people and for the lost. Now that's a perspective, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, his, his first love is without any question, Jesus Christ. He is very high in administration in Social Security. He works very responsibly. He has more rewards probably than almost any other employee of Social Security. This man walks with absolute integrity before God, like a Daniel. His love is Jesus. And he's going to talk to everybody around him about Jesus. So some will come to his office and some would not dare darken the door of his office because they know he will begin to talk to them about Jesus. This really draws a dividing line, doesn't it? Yes. If we are sold out for Jesus... We're living in the sphere of the spirit of the living God. We're no longer living in the flesh. Now, how do we say this in a way that that would help grab your attention? It makes me say, okay, let's get very graphic. Let's get very real. What is the fate of a sinner? What is the fate of a sinner? Does it matter if I'm a sinner who has accepted Jesus? Does it matter if I'm a sinner who's a pagan? Because a sinner who has accepted Jesus, but who still walks in his sin, is in the same place the pagans are in. They're unsaved. They're lost. You see... We're talking about something spatial. Let me try to define this. If I fly out of Dulles Airport today and go to Denver, Colorado, as I love to do, when I arrive in Denver, I am not in Dulles Airport. I am in Denver Airport. It's spatial. You can't be in two places at the same time. You are either in Jesus or you are in darkness. Now, in darkness, you can practice certain behaviors. You can go to church. You can preach. You can, you can struggle with specific sins and you can overcome this or that. And so many churches give seminars and workshops how to overcome this particular issue. You can remain in darkness and do all those things. 
So what are the requirements of God in this? What is the fate of a sinner? You have a scripture. Yes, so I'm looking at Revelation 21.8. So we just talked about some of the Ten Commandments include not lying, not murdering. And so we will see some of these echoed here in Revelation. It says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers, that's someone who's sexually unclean, and sorcerers, and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death so jesus if you'll remember he said don't be afraid of man who can kill your body and then after that can't do anything but be afraid of he i.e god who after he has killed the body is able also to destroy the soul in hell So that's what we see in this passage, that there is a second death of the soul, which involves fire. Jesus said, quoting from Isaiah, that the worm never dies, the fire is never quenched. We know from other passages of the New Testament that there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. So you're conscious. So you're conscious during this experience. And what we're seeing here is simply the justice executed for one's sin. So you're not going to suffer anything beyond what exact justice requires. But that justice is pretty horrendous. We read in Isaiah 63, verses 3 and 6, this is God speaking. He says, I trampled the winepress alone, and no one from the nations was with me. I trampled them in my anger and ground them underfoot in my fury. Their blood spattered my garments, and all my clothes were stained. I crushed nations in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath, and put out their blood on the ground. So this passage is saying that God will trample under his feet the wicked to the point that their blood is even flying onto his clothing, and that he will make them drunk with his wrath. In another passage of Isaiah in chapter 33, he says, The peoples will be burned to ashes, like thorns cut down and burned in a fire. So you cannot please God until you utterly renounce all sin. And I'm concerned today because Some of you listening right now to this broadcast, you know you're walking in sin. You got out of a bed this morning that you shared with someone who was not your husband or your wife. You are walking in dishonesty before God and before your family and friends. Some of you are very deliberately lying to those close to you or at work. Some of you are pretending to be righteous while embezzling money from your company. A non-Christian business owner that I spoke with talked to me about his second-in-command 
who was a very strong Christian on all outward appearance, constantly talking about Jesus. And then it was discovered that he was embezzling money from the company and was fired. We have to come to a place of reality regarding the consequence of sin. I mean, what you shared out of Revelation, that was Jesus himself as the risen Lord who is saying this. Now, I know it doesn't fit with the sinning Christian theology of most churches today. But you know what? I'm not going to be saved by that church. I'm going to be saved only by Jesus Christ. So I want to know what he says about sin and the consequences of sin. Read that for us again. This is Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So literally... Again, you cannot do anything to please God until you renounce all of your sin. God requires you to repent. You're in rebellion. You are stealing yourself from Jesus. He owns you. You are stolen property. You must choose to stop being a rebel and fly quickly to Jesus Christ for mercy. You must submit to Jesus and you must obey him. This means you move out of living with an unmarried person. You cancel your television subscription. You throw out your movies and your video games. And there's also a work of restitution that's involved. So if you've lied to someone, that means you go to that person and tell them the truth. If you've stolen money or if you've stolen someone's property, that means that you have to bring it back or pay it back. And if you're not able to, you at least need to go and make a confession of the person and ask them to forgive you. And you understand that every day that goes by, with you walking in sin, you are only increasing the wrath of God against you. You are only increasing the wrath of God that stands against you. It's frightening because we should have died the first time we ever sinned. Because God said, the day that you sin, you will die. So it's his mercy to even give us a chance to repent. But that mercy will actually work against us if we choose not to repent. Because that's, as you've said, we're just heaping up more and more and more guilt against ourselves. Yes. So don't imagine that you're right with God just because you've quit one or two sins. You have to renounce all sin forever. You give yourself totally to Jesus 
and to his service. I guess I want to emphasize that, Alexandra. Today's church, we've created an environment where we think we go to church. No one goes to church. Church is a people. It's the ecclesia. It's the it's the ecclesia. It's the called out ones from the world who gather in the name of Jesus and who say, I will follow Jesus. He will be my Lord. He will be my Savior. I will not give myself to any other lover. I am given totally to Jesus. And I will not... I will not leave him and search after another love. Yes, and a lot of the requirements we talked about involve things of the character, but we don't want to forget that Jesus gave a very specific commission to the church, which was to go and to preach the gospel to every single person and to make disciples of all the nations. And so, as Christians, we're to have some involvement in this process. It might, it might not be we're preaching the word ourselves as, you know, as a pastor, but we're still involved in some way in calling the people we know to Jesus, in supporting the work of the gospel for those who are missionaries or who are your local ministers. We're not supposed to just sit around. Well, it is an active life of service to Jesus. You were not called to be a follower of Jesus to then go back and enjoy the culture of our world. You were called out of that to join in the battle for righteousness, to join other Christian people who walk clean before God, to walk in a way where your commitment is totally given to Jesus. And that includes being totally given to the church. Because Jesus said his commandment was to love one another as he loved us. And he laid down his life for us. He said greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And so that means really practically that I am sacrificing myself for the church and if I just have this casual attitude towards the church and I feel like, you know, if I don't like the music that I can just leave and go somewhere else or if I'm not feeling well, I can stay home. That's the total opposite of laying your life down for the church. And that also involves laying your life down for the lost because no one's going to be saved unless we really get serious about their salvation. Boy, if we're not serious about their salvation, they're not going to be serious about their salvation. It really means, very practically, the New Testament church model where they shared what they had for the work of the gospel. Houses, properties, money, time, food. It was a body. And Jesus was described as the head of that body. And every part of the body had its place. You don't have a hand floating through the space. 
or you don't have a foot floating around. Everything is attached, connected, committed. Yes, you can't separate a commitment from Jesus from a commitment to the church. It's in the church that a man or woman is saved. It's in the church that we learn to walk one with another. Now, I was raised in a family of three boys. They were both bigger than I was. I was the youngest. And I learned how to deal with conflict by just leaving. If I didn't leave, I'd get beat up. So I learned to just leave conflict. So now as an adult, one of the things that I've had to repent of is leaving when conflict emerges. I know people who say, oh, don't talk to me about that. It, it disturbs me too much. Don't talk. I don't want to ever talk about that again. And they seal it off in their heart and they refuse to talk about it. And that bitterness produces what is called in Scripture a bitter root. And it poisons many because they would not deal with the conflict. They would not come with a humble heart confessing their part, forgiving those involved, and coming together once more in sweet fellowship in Jesus. I hope today you're hearing something. That being a follower of Jesus is not a list of do's and don'ts. Being a follower of Jesus is totally giving up the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is not loving the world any longer. It is instead giving all of my love to one person, to Jesus and allowing him to work in my life in such a way that I'm transformed into a new creature, a new person. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't look at people the way I used to look at people. I don't judge the way I used to judge. The ambition to be somebody has been removed. Now it's Jesus Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I'll wait upon you. Jesus, what would you have me do next? I will obey you, Jesus. You know, the word obedience is interesting in the Greek. Made up of two words. To hear and to stay under. So I stay under what I hear. That's obedience. What I think is also interesting is the word obedience can oftentimes also be translated as believe. Yes. So scripture uses them interchangeably. Yeah, interchangeably. To believe is to obey. To obey is to believe. Belief, it's not complicated. It's that we actually, if you believe something, it means you make a decision on it. So I believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I don't believe that, you know, the earth is going to drop off into a black hole. So I have food in the refrigerator and I have clothes to wear. 
You know, we make concrete decisions based on what we believe. And it's the same with with Jesus. If we really believe in the judgment and in the holiness of God, if we really believe that we deserve to die for our sins, then we will take actions to give ourselves to Jesus, to do what he tells us to do, to love him. Many of you listening today would say, oh, I'm a wonderful Christian. And you may be a wonderful person. But if you're still walking in sin, you're a wonderful person bound for hell. I don't know if that startles you. It should. I sometimes have said, I wish we had more response to our radio broadcast. It's like we speak into an ether. But I'm standing by faith that you are listening and the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart. And I'm standing by faith that today you're ready to make a decision. You're ready to decide. Even if you've called yourself a Christian, you're ready to decide to make that wedding vow with Jesus. What was it again? If you're making a wedding vow with Jesus, you're not going to leave him, whether you're sick or healthy, whether you're rich or poor, and you're not going to love anybody else. And it's not till death do us part. It's forever. It is forever. (laughs) That's the vow Jesus wants us to make with him. Will you make that vow today? Will you make that vow today, right now? Let's pray. Would you pray for these people? Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray for every person listening right now. Lord, if there are those listening who have not made this commitment to you, I ask that they would have it in their heart now to make that commitment. And if they did it one time and they've now gone back to their old ways, Lord, I ask that they would rededicate their lives and their very souls to you. Lord, I'm asking for a total transformation in the hearts and lives of those listening. Thank you. Lord, would you give those listening the courage to remove the television from their homes, to cut off the Netflix, to cut off every source of wicked entertainment in their heart? Would you give them the courage to cut off all judging, all ambition, the courage to cut off all lying, all fornicating, all gambling, all drinking, all smoking. Lord, everything that is of darkness that destroys mind, body, or soul, Lord, right now, would you give my brothers and sisters the courage to make that wedding vow that they will love you, Jesus, and pursue no other loves but hold themselves for you alone. For Jesus, you are the love of our heart. You are the majesty of heaven. 
You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We come worshiping you today, Jesus. We praise and worship you. We honor your name. Thank you for your kindness today, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We invite you to write to us. You can reach us by writing to National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, pardon me, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, all of our worship services, our prayer meetings are held at the All Saints Anglican Church. That church is located in Woodbridge, Virginia, and the address is 14851 Gideon Drive. We're located right beside the Hilton Memorial Event Center. Please also visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com and you can now follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at National Prayer Chapel. And we encourage you to go to the webpage and click on the donate button and help us cover the cost of the radio broadcast. This is totally a faith ministry outreach. Jesus has been faithfully moving in your hearts Thank thank you. Those of you who have given, thank you. We could not do this without Jesus moving you to give. So thank you for your obedience to him. So you've been listening to Alexandra and Ray Greenley, pastor at the National Prayer Chapel. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.